0: Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson. ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson skulle alls bra som mig. Carlson, 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 Carlson scores. Awesome. Yeah! yeah. Yes! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeper and Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by a guy who still remembers Artemi Panarin's rookie year when I had him in all of my leagues and I was like, hashtag Team Panarin, I dominated. Ugh! What beautiful memories. I'm your temporary host, Elon Dubrowski. We've got a super fun show for you today. I say temporary because I'm going to be once again handing over the reins to the great Ben Burnett as he had an interview with Shayna Goldman all about the New York Rangers. It's a really great interview. I know you're going to love it, and we'll get to that in just a sec. Of course, first, let me mention that Keeping Carlson is presented by DauberHockey.com, the number one fantasy hockey website in the whole world. And I'm pretty sure the inventor of this concept of a digital fantasy guide that gets updated all throughout the preseason it's really awesome. I mean, if you want to be successful in fantasy hockey, you know you got to get that Dobber guide, right? So you can get that over at DobberHockey.com. Then also, I'll mention that you're getting this guide to help you in fantasy. And if you're playing fantasy, you might as well just join the ultimate league out there, which is the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. We're super proud of our league. It's been running for many years now. And now it's the perfect time to register for the couple. You'll start at the bottom tier. You'll climb up our pyramid, and before you know it, you might be in Tier 1 fighting for the title of the best fantasy hockey player in the whole world. That's currently held by Dustin Au, and we'll see who will be the next Tier 1 champion. But you could start your KKUPFL journey by going to KKUPFL.com. That's KKUPFL.com, and you'll find all the information about how to register as a patron of Keeping Carlson and join our league. So with that, uh, I'm going to stop my blabbering and cut over to Ben Burnett, and his awesome interview with Shayna Goldman about the New York Rangers. Enjoy.
1: Welcome to the Keeping Carlson Beat Writer Interview Series, hosted by myself, Ben Burnett, of the Short Shifts podcast. And joining me today, a very special guest, Shayna Goldman, contributor of the Athletic New York and the Too Many Men podcast. Shayna, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you here uh, both because i I warned you in advance I am a, a massive Rangers fan but also because you are a fantasy columnist at the athletic in addition to your Rangers uh, writing and so this is a team that has a lot of fantasy implications so I, I'm glad that we have somebody who's well versed in in fantasy hockey
2: yeah it's definitely fun like when you can look at it you know from the perspective of like how is this team gonna do but then like you have this entirely different different view of it when you're just talking about fantasy because you have to care about so many different things
1: and uh you have to ignore defense in a lot of cases (laughs) which we just discussed a few (laughs) minutes ago as being very underrated uh fantasy hockey we're we're gonna underrate some defensemen and uh that's just how it is yeah
2: yeah someday they'll get rid of plus minus for like a legitimate category like i don't know takeaways would be nice
1: Sure. Yeah, I just set up a league this month. And uh, plus minus, you know, you're looking at the Yahoo choices. And you're just like, wow, there is a a real lack of options. here.
2: Yeah, I cannot seem to shake plus minus despite my efforts in either of my leagues. Um, I did get rid of penalty minutes for hits. um, But plus minus, I'm still working on to just remove for like shorthanded points or blocks, but I've lost every argument.
1: It's weird too, making uh, making new leagues or, or changing the categories in leagues because you're arguing with 13 or, you know, a dozen other people. And there's always some sort of weird dynamic that's going on that is not how friends like normally speak with each other. <laughs> I don't I don't know how else to describe it.
2: Yeah, or it's the laziness of, like, let's just keep the status quo because that's what I know and that's what I play my team on. And it's like, yeah, but you could plan it differently with literally a category that I'm sure you don't, like, of all categories, like, you're going to look for it. You're like, I want someone who shoots the on. I want someone who's a great passer for assists. You're not being like, I want someone who's going to have a positive plus minus. Like, you're definitely not putting that thought into it. You're just picking players and hoping for the best. And then as the weeks wind on, you're going like, oh, wow, this this player is on a team. You know, playing in front of Martin Jones and their plus minus is going to be terrible because they're always out in those key situations. It's burning me. Let me go for someone else. But like that's it's a reactionary thing, if anything, in my opinion.
1: It's that. So like, that's like the whole of the argument for me. But then when you look at like even the like extreme versions of it, like you have uh, you have Sidney Crosby on your team. He's out with the empty net. He's actually a bad example because he gets so many. empty net points. But But like
2: Connor McDavid and Leandro Seidel, that's something that's talked about for both of them.
1: Right. Exactly. So they have terrible minuses because they're getting empty nets scored on them. Or even if you get a goal scored against you at three on three overtime, you get a minus. It makes no sense.
2: And like your roster ideally is with all-star players on offense and defense. And those are the players that are going to be out, you know, 90% of the time are going to be out in those six on five situations because you need them to score. That's why they're on your team. So it's like, do I risk the minus or do I risk the chance of a shot plus a goal or, you know, multiple shots or assists or anything? Like, it, Obviously, or if you have game winning goals, which is such a challenging category, but some, some people do go for that.
1: I'm going to risk uh, outing myself as a fraud here. But I honestly just ign- if I'm in a league with plus minus, I just ignore it nope, almost so 100% of the time.
2: Yeah. 100% unless I'm like legitimately like in need for a very key situation. But I try not to like I don't I don't need it that I like I will go look for a player like say Ryan Reeves for a night or William Carrier mm-hmm. or something like that. Like I'll pick him up for a night for hits. But even that, I try not to do. I would still go for like the ten evs because I feel like I can get a better chance of depth scoring for it. But I'll I'll correct for that. I'm really not correcting for plus minus unless I need that point more than anything.
1: Yeah, and it just it just feels so random. And that's anyway we <laughs> we can agree to start yeah. out plus minus is is no plus no minus
2: sucks. Please don't talk to us about it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> do not add us. Um, I guess from the fantasy perspective, though, the, the first thing to talk about with the Rangers is that they have a brand new coach. I think uh, we Rangers fans were very hopeful about signing Gerard Gallant in the offseason. Now that he is the coach of the Rangers, how do you think his style will impact them from a fantasy perspective?
2: So I think Gallant's good for from a fantasy perspective because what this team needs more than anything is an offensive boost. Um, even with some of the best scorers in the league and, you know, top playmakers... They they don't have the offense that they should. Um, Maybe you can make the argument two years ago that the team wasn't where it should have been talent wise, but this past year, I think they should have exceeded what they did. And it was a lot with their offensive strategies. Um, Enter Gerard Gallant and you have a coach that runs a much faster paced system. Um, You have that puck in the neutral zone. You better be getting into the offensive zone quickly. Um, He runs his practices that way too. You know, he's someone that, goes for the speed and, and goes for the high energy and up-tempo pace of play, um, whether it's a game setting or not, to get that team prepped and ready for it. So I think that's going to help because there's going to be more times you see them getting the puck into the offensive zone. And with that effort to get tougher, you can make the argument maybe that whether or not that they added puck possession players for their bottom six so much, you have players who will grind it out on the walls and maybe have a better chance of keeping it in the offensive zone. So when the first line comes on, um, you could flip it the other way and say they are not good puck possession players. And that's going to lead to more trouble. And maybe the first time we start in the defensive zone, you could take it either way. I think if the roster is deployed correctly, it'll benefit them because they're going to be that team that's tougher to beat. And even if they can't generate a scoring chance, if they can keep it in the zone long enough, that helps them. But just getting into the offensive zone and trying to create shots um, and not only going for that, High danger shot. It's great to have a high danger shot. You have a higher chance of scoring on that, but you just need to what this team needs to do in general is just shoot the puck more. It's super simple. Have more dimensions to your offensive strategy instead of going for one rush chance, folding back on defense and being pushed the other way. So I think Gallant will help them in terms of tempo and getting the puck into the offensive zone and hopefully adding more layers to that offense. So now you have a team with more scores than the two that you're going to think of off the bat, which is going to be Mika's bandaged and in our time at Panarin that you have more offense, you know, rolling through that, at least that top nine um, to, to have more valuable players, you know, one from a fantasy perspective and two in general, just having more depth.
1: And so I think, uh, one thing I think about a lot with Gallant coming in is, um, an interview that Ryan Spooner did, uh, earlier. I-, I don't know if you, if you know where I'm going with this, but he talked about David Quinn and how he just would, would lay into rookies. You have to, as soon as you get the puck, you, you drive north, south, you're going to the net. Do you think that Gallant has a lot more to, a lot more room to let these younger players grow who have really stagnated under Quinn?
2: Um, yes and no. More towards yes. I think that Glantz is a coach that's going to want his players to back check and going to want to see that full effort. And I think that's something you can say for any coach. And, and, and yes, it comes from a, tra- a traditional perspective, too, you know, that some coaches feel that you must improve your defense in order to play offense. And that is true to an extent, but you know, you also look at it and you go, you don't want to squash that offense because you're forcing defense on a player. So I won't be surprised if we're still having similar conversations in six months from now, but I think overall in general, he is a player that will give them a little bit more rope because you could look at players like Kako who didn't get the rope that he earned as the year went on and the same for Lafreniere. And you could also make the argument that they were giving too little ice time to start. Um, And you could say, no player should be gifted minutes. You have to earn them. And it's not even that I'm disagreeing with that point, but sometimes that starting point is different and you have to consider whether a player is truly in a position to uh, succeed because if they aren't, it really doesn't – they're not in that position to earn those minutes. So I think, um, especially when you look at the Panthers and you look at what he did with Barkoff and, you know, Trocek and Huberto, you could say that Huberto and Barkov – were destined to become top tier players, you know, or elite players. They had that ceiling in them and they did, but this is a coach that did help them get there. So, you know, there's two sides of the coin to it. Um, Jonathan March. did well under Gallant in Florida, though he didn't want to play him at first. And that's the thing. He was forced into using him in a role. And when he did March, thrived and from there he used him more often. And obviously they clicked well in Vegas and um, the same with like Riley Smith. Like, there were players that did succeed under him do I think that he'll make the right decision off the bat and it might be a similar situation where he's kind of forced into putting a player where they should be and that's when it works it could happen that could happen with literally any coach but I think a player like Kako showed so much promise last year after a tough first season and it was tough understandably so I could see him being in a a better position to succeed this year I think the same for Lafreniere I think that the two of them Um, should be getting consistent top six minutes, should be on the power play consistency uh, consistently. And if they are, you'll see them do well. But I think too, you could look at what happened under Quinn. A lot of defensemen did succeed and develop. The big difference was the Rangers had more forward depth because they had the big guns in Zibanejad Kreider um, and Panarin and Ryan Strom, who they trusted in those minutes. So they didn't have to throw their forwards into those minutes. So they didn't get you know, the trial by fire that someone like Kandre Miller did because they didn't have another top four defenseman or Adam Fox did because he was better, you know, off the bat than other players and Ryan Lingren too. So they're, the players on offense are going to have to earn their roles more than players on defense have had to. But I think that they might be in a better position to start than maybe what they were this past year.
1: Which I think is, and and this is not a new thought, but I think that's a lot to do with why, pavel Buchnevich ends up getting traded is to clear up space for these guys who they get drafted high in the top you know capo Kako and alexi lafreniere go uh, in the first first and second overall in back-to-back years but they can't crack the top six clearly uh, drury has made a move in order to give them that opportunity
2: yes and no um i i can, oh, no, you know, i can see the argument but i also think like look you can look at a team like Tampa. You can look at a team like Vegas. You can look at a team like um, Colorado. They have forward depth up and down their lineup. Uh, Yanni Gordon and Blake Coleman are our top six players on any team but the Lightning because they're so deep. The Rangers should want that. And I get they want it to be a tougher opponent, and you have to have sub- uh, subtractions in your lineup so you can fit those types of players in. But it shouldn't have been a player like Bucinevich, who they spent all this time developing and who became such a good two-way winger. Um, I don't see Kraftsoff playing... First line minutes this year, no matter what. I can see him as the player that fans are the most frustrated about not getting the minutes that he deserves. Um, And I don't think the third line would be a bad place for him if he had good players to play around. If I were looking at the Rangers roster at the end of the season and thinking where it could go from here, maybe that third line is closer to Kreider, Stromer, Heedle with Kravtsov. And that's not a bad line if you better distribute your minutes. You know, they have two lines that were playing – 21 minutes each and you want your first line to play a lot. And when you have a second line as deep as the Rangers did, you could have them play a lot too, but there's still the minutes for the third line to get, especially when that fourth line doesn't see minutes. And, you know, we're going to have to question whether or not they should, depending on how it shakes out too. Um, rolling four lines is ideal, but it depends on the depth that they have. If a player like Kraftsoffs on line three, though, you have better players on line four than you would have. If Kraftsoff has to be on line two, because there's not that depth ahead of him. So, I'm looking at it. I think the Rangers could have had the room for a could have kept developing the others, and lower the ice time elsewhere. And maybe that is a player like Chris Kreider who, you know, he struggled at the end of the year, but he can still be a very good player in those, you know, top nine, five-on-five five minutes in power play time.
1: You have no arguments with me, uh, with me there. Losing Bucinavich is I felt inappropriate it felt un. it was not a- they should not be allowed to trade <laughs> Pavel Buchnevich after finally he ascends to the the potential that we had been waiting for for so long higher and even, for- you
2: could say Because yes, you- who right. expected him to be good defensively but yeah. I will add sorry to cut you off it's not that he was no. an untouchable player I think very few players are and they should be Lafreniere, Kako, Fox you know like that's your untouchable core You have to be so careful how many players you make untouchable because that's what could screw you Like when you look at a team like maybe Chicago who wasn't willing to move players when they could have, would have, or should have. But I think it just should have been for a better, more equal return. And it really does. This sucks for Sammy Blay because everyone's going to hold that over his head that he was traded in an unbalanced trade. And that's really not fair to him. But if they went for a defenseman that they felt they needed or they were able to get a top nine center, that would have made it Uh, more digestible for fans i would say and it would have been better for the team you know it's just when you see that unequal return and then you put that in tandem with some of their other offseason moves you go wait a sec that wasn't your best asset management for a player you just spent years developing who exceeded all expectations and then you see the contract he signed, and it was reasonable even knowing the cap crunch that they're gonna face in the future
1: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there was no, when, when Buchnevich got traded, and I think it was Reinhardt was another RFA who got dealt for for cheap, it felt like there were a few players who got moved way below value as RFAs. And in my mind, I was like, okay, maybe Seattle's about to snap up a couple of uh, offer sheets here. And then that never came, and so I just don't – I feel like there was a moment where I thought, oh, maybe we're just going to find out the market really dried up, and they felt like they truly got boxed in with with Buchnevich and couldn't re-sign him, but it it really doesn't appear to have been a problem that ever materialized.
2: I would say I get the want to trade him before the draft because you got a draft pick, and that'll help you sooner than later, but I don't think teams should tie their hands as much as they did in that situation, even if the market dried up, you wait. You know, you can risk overplaying your hand like team like Buffalo is doing. But, you know, on the other side of it, you can still come out with a good return or you can sign a player and then deal with it later. You know, it's not like this was a player that was going to walk on July 1st. Um, Yes, you might have had to deal with an arbitration hearing, so on and so forth. But at worst, you ended up with a one year contract that a team can contemplate what to do. Like that's what a team like Minnesota did with Kevin Fiala. He wanted the term and the money they did not want to give it to him they're giving him a show me deal after he already had a bridge contract for one year they can flip him at the deadline if it's not working and they don't see a future happening there or they could see if he does take it up another notch and with booch i don't think it was taking it up another notch that wasn't really within question of whether he needed to because he did so much but figuring out the cap situation or ensuring a better return.
1: Absolutely, um, and so you mentioned Jack Eichel. Do you uh, are you hearing anything on that front? Is there any reason to think that he might be a Ranger this year?
2: I think that I think that Buffalo got a lot smarter when they hired Sam Ventura uh, away from the Pittsburgh Penguins. And prior to that hearing, I would say it's a guarantee Buffalo loses that trade. I still struggle to see how they fully win the trade, especially at this point. But I think that he gives them a much better chance of doing so. I do think there's a lot of asset mismanagement, though, because had Eichel been moved sooner, the acquiring team could have handled his medical plans, whether or not it featured that surgery. But it would have given him a better chance of being ready to start the season with his new team, which would have maybe increased the return. But knowing now that there is an even less, a uh, lower chance that he'd be ready to start day one, you know, or day two, or day thirty, I think that's where it's going to get a little tricky. I would be shocked if he wasn't moved. Um, if I'm Buffalo, I do not want this lingering into my next season, especially after the last year, there was so much turmoil and a lot of it could have been avoided had they made a move sooner with their coaching staff. Um, They need to, it's all about the vibes right now. Like forget about the return for a second, but it literally is all about the vibes. Here is a player who does not want to be there given everything. And he is in within his own right to not want to be there. It has nothing to do with the players on the team. It has to do with management. I don't blame him. Do you want that? in your camp on day one. And I know the argument could be, well, would the acquiring team want to deal with that kind of attitude or whatever going on? It's a different situation, but he, you know, he has made it clear. You want to start a new page. Would it help to have the players that you get back for Eichel there too, day one, to get the ball running like a lot sooner? It definitely would, but just overall you should want, you have a, you know, you named your interim coach, your head coach, you brought in players, you lost players. Get it going this year and don't continue and drag out what was going on last year. So you start already with the mood being off because you didn't make a move. And now there's a player there that everybody knows will come in and do his job if he has to. But he doesn't want to. There, given everything.
1: Right. And I mean, they're in a they're in a deficit. They're in a hole because of how poorly they've they've managed their their franchise for so long that it's like they probably feel like they can't go Full into another rebuild because they've never left the three that they started before this
2: that's that and that's the tricky thing and that's you know when you look at teams that rebuild the right way you have to look at teams that rebuild the wrong way to figure out what to avoid and you know what pitfalls they had and for them at points it was signing players that didn't make sense at the time when they sent out those contracts to Kyle post and matt molson they weren't a good enough team to go for the right now player Forget about the fact that it was, you know, too much term, too much money, anything like that for players that are good in, you know, like the middle of your lineup. But the fact of the matter was these are players that they acquired at the wrong time. So when they would have hit their peaks, it wouldn't have lined up with, you know, when they were ready to contend. And that's that's where it's so tricky. You make that jump for a player like, I don't know, Artemi Panarin, even though the team wasn't ready for a player of that caliber when he was available, when an elite player makes it to free agency, you jump. You know, you don't you don't ask how high, you just jump. And that's what they did. It's such a difference there. And, yeah, you can see the mistakes. I think they're in better hands now, even though I have questions about many other spots in their staff. But I think they have someone in there. And every locker room wants it. They have someone who knows how to win. They have someone in their front office who knows how to win and brought two cups home to Pittsburgh and was a key part of it. So they have someone who's a lot smarter than um, – most people in front of offices that I think is going to change things for them.
1: You mentioned rebuilding the right way and rebuilding the wrong way. Let's go back to a team that's doing both these days: uh, the New York Rangers. And uh, I guess we'll talk about the forwards. And we'll start with our Temmy Panarin. Uh, puts a back-to-back 113 point pace seasons in his first two years in New York. And then last year, at the end, his season ends with that Tom Wilson brutal, brutal play uh, that leaves him injured, uh, classified as a lower body injury. I want to know if if you've heard too much about the injury that would indicate it might linger into next year.
2: Um, I heard that initially I just was, you know, I heard that he was okay. But um, I think he'll be completely fine. Uh, He's playing now. You know, it looks like some sort of like exhibition charity thing. So he is skating. That's great. Um, He is super fit. And I think that obviously helps too, you know, as players... Age. And it's crazy we're talking about that. You know, there's a player who is still young, but obviously as players age and get into the midpoint or later years of their careers, sometimes they have to do a little bit more than what they would have had to do when they were 18. Um, but he he seems like someone that is so good with his conditioning, and that's why he he, you know, you don't realize how strong he is. Um he's dense. I've been like, you know, I know it's like a weird word to say, but because he doesn't have this massive frame, but it, there's so much strength in him there. And that's how he's able to play his game that I would have zero concerns about it going into this year.
1: Yeah, he looks little, but then you see him kick up that leg and you're like, oh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's got some. Uh, <laughs> he's an athletic and fella. you see the strength um, on the
2: puck, too. Like, that's, I think, where his strength 100%. shines. You know, he's and he's smart. So you have that, you know, those two um, attributes together. And it's that's what makes him the player he is
1: you kind of with a player like Panarin, you kind of notice his skill set when you watch players who have the same sort of puck skill and the same sort of smarts. Like I'm thinking of like Elias mm-hmm. Pettersson early in his career and you see him getting knocked around all the time. And you're like, Oh, that's what happens when you don't have that core strength, when you don't train yourself in the way that, that these players have to, like, I think Sidney Crosby is the example that most people would think of with, with those thighs <laughs> of his that, uh, you know, just uh, keep him from a, uh, keep him on top of yeah, the Yeah,
2: I think it's, I think it's that. And it, And I think it's the way he sees the ice. And I think Pedersen's a player who will get there. He's so talented as it is, but like Panarin is so smart and can anticipate exactly what his opponents are going to do. And that's, you know, not only is he so strong on the puck and he's so smart at getting the puck and he has the speed. It's the way he thinks the game too. You know, he can react quicker than anybody. He's 10 steps ahead of everybody. And that's why he's able to like pull off these highlight reel plays. Like it's literally nothing because he is so fast to adapt to how the rest of the play is developing. And he's so quick to come up with how the play should develop.
1: And so he's been playing with Ryan Strom pretty much 100% of the time since he got to New York. Uh, This offseason, there were before the Bucinavik trade, there were uh, there was a lot of discussion about Strom being the one who might move out of the top six. Do you think that the Rangers are still looking at moving him or are things quiet on that front? Or does that depend on what happens with Jack? It probably
2: depends on Jack Eichel or what other top centers there are. Like August is such a weird time because there's so many things at a lull. people were trying to figure out what their cap was going to look at look like with, you know, restricted free agents and things like that, too. And I imagine things will pick up eventually again because there are still some, you know, lingering thoughts around numerous teams. You know, the teams that were looking at centers in addition to Eichel or looking for middle six players or whatever it may be. Um, with Ryan Strom, it's so tricky because the Rangers have two players on expiring contracts down the middle next year. And you can make the argument for not signing either one of them to whatever that next contract's going to be given their ages. You could make the argument that you can handle signing one of them like there's so many ways it could go, but you can't let it come to July 1st next year whenever the offseason starts that there's two players still on the roster unsigned with whatever plans, you know, that's just going to increase costs and everything else. I'm not sure what happens with Strom because I think he is. He's the one player you can't predict it. Um there's been speculation about where he would go, what would happen next to him since the day he stepped foot on the ice in New York. He bounced back. He really found his game. He's playing the best hockey of his career. But who the hell knows Like where he's going to go from here because everyone keeps thinking, now this is the point to trade him. This is when his value is at the highest. This is how you have to play it smart. Right. And then he takes his game to the next level and the game, You know, as the team doesn't trade him. Last year, he was playing some of the best hockey of his career. Um, areas where he struggled the year before, he improved, uh, mainly in his own zone. And he he was he was a really good, well-rounded player last year. Um if I'm the Rangers, I do look to make a move sooner than later. But it does depend on where their priorities lie, because if they don't have an alternative situation, which at the moment they don't, unless they feel that they can go Heedle and Goudreau, but I think they need a little bit more insurance if that's the case. Um then then they could you know move him sooner than later but it doesn't make sense if they feel that they are going to make the playoffs this year and are going to be in the mix the entire year
1: Well, and let's talk about that second center that you mentioned who's expiring next year, Mika Zibanejad, who I think from a fantasy perspective um, really popped out on the scene about three years ago now. In 2019, he goes for he paces for above 70 points. And then in 2020, he goes absolutely ballistic. He leads the league in goals per game. He scores 41 and 57, a 108 point pace over a full season. Lots of signs that he wouldn't quite hit that high again, but you know, then he comes out this year and he was terrible out of the gate, unfortunately, just four points in the first 15, um, but then he turns it around again with 40 in his last 46. He finishes with a 73-point pace, so you can see the yo-yo in those numbers over three seasons. Um, it's easy to talk yourself, I think, into Mika being back to those 2020 heights a little bit because of the explanation of the COVID uh, training camp and, you know, sort of that, that goes a long way, I think, to explain away some of your concerns, but I guess I'm curious to ask you if you had to bet on 2022 Mika finishing closer to the 70 point pace or the 100 point pace, where do you think he falls?
2: I think he falls closer to the hundred point pace. If it's full season and he's healthy, because I think the team is going to be better offensively. I think he will probably play with, you know, Lafreniere or Kako, you know, if they get if they stack them up with Sabanajad, if the power play is clicking, you know, that's another so- source of offense for him right there. Um, I think losing Buchnevich is going to hurt because he, this past year especially, was the player driving that line. Um, here's where it's tricky with Zibanejad. Normally, when a player ages, you see their play driving drop. Players that are frequent shooters age better than players that are snipers. And players that are power play specialists, also age better. And passers age well, too. Zibanejad is a good passer. He's a very frequent shooter, and he is very good on the power play. So that's working in his favor. The concern in the red flag should be that his play-driving numbers have dipped the last couple of years. Two years ago, in um, 1920, he, his, uh, he was scoring at such a high clip, and there were questions about sustainability, and rightfully so. He was one of the hottest players in the league, and you don't want to take away from that. But his play-driving did dip a bit. And it could have been, because of the team, you look at their systems, it, you know, it's hard to constantly stay afloat when the team isn't producing as many shots and they had defensive issues. So fast forward a year later, and this is where it gets hard because of everything that happened to him in training camp. Obviously that's going to set his uh, season off on the wrong foot. If you miss training camp, that right there is an issue. If you have COVID and have to come back from that, that is an issue. And if you have to do it on the fly, when you didn't have a training camp, it just got, you know, the deck is stacked against you. The team did get better defensively this year. He was not great defensively at even strength, though. Um, the team at points was better, you know, offensively. He was not that great below the su- surface offensively. And it did pick up around March, his game in general, below the surface as well as at the surface. But it wasn't what you'd expect of Mika Zibanejad, who generally has had good underlying numbers. So when a player's, player gets to around age 30 and goes into their 30s, generally they age more rapidly you would notice their play driving starting to slip even if they still have results. Would they have results like he's having? Well, you know, he has a really good shot and he was playing with really talented players too. So that's the question he's facing this year. If he continues to score and his underlying numbers are good, then you could chalk it up to last year being last year and everything that happened. If his numbers continue to slip though, it is a little bit concerning because you're going, is this the general trend of his game already? And is that something you're going to commit to for potentially seven or eight years. So I, it's really tough because last year was so tough to judge. And he has had other injury issues too, that are going to be factored in, factored into any equation. I think that he's still a very good player. And I think he's going to be very effective. I think when the team legitimately is in their window of contention, and that is not yet on a Stanley cup caliber team, he's probably a second line center by the time that they contend, not right now in two years, let's say three years, um, you can make up for that if you have elite wingers. You look at Vegas and they have Chandler Stevenson between Mark Stone and Max Passcheretti. he's there that's two elite wingers that it doesn't matter that you don't have that elite center to match. So if the Rangers are going to contend with him as the number one C, they need to have elite wingers. So you have a high end one c with elite wingers. If that's not the case and he is the two c, he'll be he could be a very high end two c unless you just continue to see the game trend in the wrong direction which I don't think is going to be the case for him just quite yet. I don't think he's there at this point where we have to, you know, throw red flags up left, right, and sideways about his game. I think that there's other circumstances to consider. And I think the coaching change could be very good for him, but it's just something to have in the back of your mind too, while you're watching him going, is this what he's becoming or are we just talking it up to everything else?
1: We'll be right back with Shayna to chat about more Ranger players. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. Well, Shayna, you mentioned, or we chatted about Buchnevich a little bit, and we, we talked about sort of who will fill the, the role in the top six, and one player that hasn't really been mentioned a lot in terms of departures for the offseason is Colin Blackwell, who they lose to Seattle in the expansion draft. So now the Rangers have two holes on the right side, uh, looking at last year. They're obviously betting on one of, if not both, of Capo Kako or Vitaly Kravtsov taking a big step forward to fill those top six minutes. It sounds like you're you're more confident in Capo, which I think makes sense given we've seen him in the NHL and we saw him turn it around last year. Do you think that either of them are must drafts for fantasy this year?
2: I think it really does depend on their power play usage. Um because if you're going to go for a player early on, you want a player that plays in you know 5 on 5 minutes and the power play or in all situations. But I do think that there's a very good chance he sees power play time and he could on the first unit. Um We saw the power play under Quinn and under um, David Oliver and Greg Brown over the last couple of years. And they went with so many right-handed shots on the first unit that I think held them back because it helps to have someone on their off wing for a quick shot in the right circle or, you know, playing behind the net even um, just to have a little bit more variety in there. And Ryan Strome was productive and did a lot right on the power play, but he is not as quick on the trigger finger as other players. And part of it is because he was on his right side, but on the other hand, he's just not the most frequent of shooters. I thought having a player like Buchnevich would be good there, or even a player like Kako, who could be so good along the boards as well. If I'm the Rangers, I definitely think about him starting the year on the first power play unit, and you could have it be Kreider, Kako, Zabanajad, Panarin, and Fox keep everyone's positions the same, just put Kako in the right circle and see what happens. Um, that would pay dividends in, you know, in terms of his results, we don't know how much they're going to lean on power play one versus power play two. If it's going to be more like split or if they're going to go, you know, 65% for one unit, which some teams do. And the Rangers do have the talent to do. Um, and they did for the most part and then started splitting it a little bit more evenly when the games didn't matter as much. And it was about just getting players, you know, in there. Um, I would be surprised though if Kako or Lafrenier isn't on power play one. But I do think if both of them are on power play two, I would imagine power play two does get more minutes than they did before. And you could see a unit with the two of them, maybe Kandre Miller, Filipino. And um, they could even throw someone like Barkley Goodra. I wouldn't be surprised as that net front role. Um, losing Colin Blackwell definitely though is a loss. You know, he was, he played higher than he should have a lot of the year, but I think his value was that he was this like utility player that you know every team should strive mm-hmm. to have. And you can make the argument that at points he should have been lower in the lineup so others could have gotten the chance. Or maybe he shouldn't have been on the power play so others could have gotten the chance. Um, so the fact that he isn't there is going to open up some more opportunities for other players. But I could easily see, right. you know, maybe a player like Barkley Goudreau, even though he doesn't have that much offensive upside, gets slotted in, in that kind of um, capacity too. Just like knowing his... I would say from a coaching perspective, they probably look at him and say the stability that he would bring.
1: Yeah. And I think uh, we, we've we talked about or you've mentioned Lafreniere a few times now. Um, the other sort of uh, recent first round pick who they, they really are probably counting on to take a big leap here. Um, disappointing rookie season, mainly because he couldn't stick when he did move up the lineup. Do you think that he enters the season in the top six or where, where do you see him slotting in to start?
2: I think it does depend on Kreider a bit because yeah. unless they choose to shift him, you know, him or Kreider from, you know, their natural roles and that's where it gets a little bit tricky. And I think that depends on how training camp goes. And that's why you have preseason to experiment with those things. Um, ideally, yes, he's in the top six to start unless you have a super skilled third line. That's going to get a lot of minutes, but I do think ideally he's in the third line. Uh, I mean, higher than third line. Um, when he ended the season, he showed why he didn't belong on the third line anymore. And I mean, the thing to remember too, is like his season before ended so prematurely, he had a very long off season. It was a weird year. There were so many different things that play into it. Um, I did think he looked good with Bouchnevich and points. And unfortunately it was Zbanejad dragging down that line at, you know, yes, it was out of his control, but um, it definitely hurt that that was where the, that line was struggling. Um, but later in the season when they were put back together, you could see it clicking for all three players. And it was a complete game changer for that line from what you saw earlier in the year. So I do think that he could, it could easily, you know, start the season with Lavigne, with um, Zabanajad and Buchnevich together. I think he's going to have a very good year. I think he's going to be a very good player on both ends of the ice and he should fit well with Gerard Gallant. Um, I have like no doubt about that. I think, him and Kako are the two players. I expect them to take huge strides forward. It's something I'm sure I will write about before the season starts, like focusing on the two of them. Um, but what, like, what is good, though, um, is this uh, new regime. You know, it's Chris Drury now. And something he did stress before the season ended was that there's no perfect path for a young player to take. And it's super easy to compare a player like Kako, and it's super easy to compare a player like Lafreniere because they're both wingers, they're both high draft picks, there's so many expectations for them. But just because one went a certain path and that was a tough first year for kako and then a much better second season, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the case. And Lafreniere's first season was not near what Kako's was in terms of like disappointments. Um, it was, you know, statistically, he was one of the worst players in the league in year one. And you see that bounce back in year two to, the player he was expected to be, and then some because that defensive side of his game wasn't anticipated as much. But it, it, they're very different players, and while it's easy to compare them, everybody goes at their own pace, and there's no perfect you know, roadmap or blueprint for what a rookie's going to do. So I think as long as that's kept in mind and the two aren't measured against each other as much, and the same goes for Kraftsoff, um, that'll be fine. And I think that that's something that management very, very clearly understands.
1: And so you mentioned uh, you mentioned Kreider. He is kind of when you look at this team right now, the odd man out because he hasn't really been a right side guy uh, through his career. And when when they won the draft lottery from that moment, there was kind of this question of what are they going to do with these three excellent left wingers that they now have? Um, And then they go and sign Chris Kreider to that seven-year deal they're paying him six and a half million he's just one year in and it when you look at cap friendly that contract really stands out already um yeah do you think he sticks with Jad or is he already kind of a i mean obviously we're speculating here but are we starting to see his game slip as as he ages he's one of those banger guys who you know you worry yeah. about his body deteriorating
2: so I think he does start. I think there's a very good chance he starts with advantage Ed, And I think that he is the type of player that will thrive under Gallant because he is such a fast player and he can get to the net and he can make quick puck touches and get way up the ice for his teammates. You know, he, every team wants speed. Every team wants strength. Every team wants size and every team wants skill. And Chris Crater has that perfect combination of all four that have made him such a dangerous player throughout his entire career. When the contract was signed, it didn't look that bad because we knew that there was going to be cap growth and you know you look at the players that age that way you look at jimmy ben you look at cory perry and that net front player doesn't age well we know that but chris Kreider is so frequent freak, freakishly fit that it's fine and he can handle that and you see the way that he you know hasn't dealt with that many you know injuries yes the blood clot was a freak thing but you know, he stayed relatively healthy despite playing that role. And he isn't only a net front guy and he can take some of the hits because he has the size and he has the strength, but there's more to his game because he has the speed and he has, you know, good hands. It's not just for deflections and tip-ins, but he's good with his shot. Um, and he's a fine passer too, which is why he clicks so well with Zibanejad who can go up and score 40 goals. You know, the two of them combine on so many scoring plays together. Um, I think I'm less concerned that he's aging less gracefully than we thought. The concern is going to be that the cap is not what everybody anticipated it to be. Because with a new team coming in and a new TV deal, that contract should have been fine. And that's not what happened at all. So is it going to be a problem? Yes. Can you fault a player for assigning the money a team offered him? No. They should take it and run because their contracts are not long. And he did earn that deal with the team. It just as unfortunate that it got as complicated as it did, you know, based on the pandemic, which who the hell anticipated this happening for, you know, whatever and having the impact it does on the cap for years. I think there's a chance we see him slot lower in the lineup. And I think that can be fine because it'll add, it'll ensure that the third line or the second line, wherever he plays, is going to be playing more. He's not going to be playing, you know, nine minutes a night. That would be a problem at that contract and whatever. But I don't think it ever comes to that. Um, in the near future, he's a very good player. He should fit in very well with Gallant. He will probably still be on power play one and be very good in that position. Um, the question is if they do, maybe they do try to get him to switch to the right. And he has played well on the right. You know, this is a player that can streak up the ice on the right side. And if he has a quick shot as a left-handed player, like it definitely could work but it would take an adjustment period. And that would be interesting to see if it, you know, you see at some point Lafreniere and Zibanejad and Kreider playing together. Um, I know they tried it where it was Kako, Zibanejad and Kreider playing together in 2019-20 and it didn't work at all. That line was struggling because Kreider had a rough start and, and uh, Kako was struggling and maybe that's not the combination to go with now. But it would be interesting to see if he could play on the right side and if he's playing with players like Heel and Panarin or Stroman Panarin, Um that makes for a very interesting combination, too. And the underrated combination that we didn't see much of before last year was Strom with Kreider. Yeah. The two of them clicked so well and they had played so little ice time at even strength together that maybe there's something there. You know, if they are on the third line, let's say if Hedel does get that boost to the second line or another center is brought in, um, and maybe Strom does shift lower if he's on the lineup, in the lineup, and it's a player, you know, it's him, it's Kreider, it's Kraftsoff. You might have yourself a very formidable third line that's going to play key minutes, just like those contending teams have their third uh, third liners play.
1: And I think you, I was going to say earlier in the show you had you had talked me into a Kreider uh, a Kreider Kravtsov third line, but I mean, yes, even if you wanted to flip Heedle and, and Strom and have one of have Heedl play with Panarin or whatever it is, I guess the question that then arises in my mind is who plays with Panarin or uh Zabanajad on that right side who kind of if Kravtsov's not not in the top 6 which right winger do you think uh, joins Kako up there
2: That's what's tricky like right. now that you don't have Buchnevich it could be Kravtsov Right it could be Lafreniere or Kreider if they switch to the right and now you can fit more players into your top 9 Um and it depends how skilled they go with certain lines because I could see it again a player like Jesper Foss fit with um Strom and Panier, and they had that defensive presence and that utility player and then they had that again with Colin Blackwell. Do they try to replicate that again and go for two skilled players with that two-way presence? Like that's where my that's my question. It really does depend on how the coaches feel that they should be constructing lines and this is a new, you know, era so it's it's tricky to see like what it will be. You know, there was only so much to go off of with Vegas because they only had so many players. They didn't have the farm system to reach from. They had a player, you know, a team of misfits put together. Um, I think Golan is very good at maximizing a player's talent. And I think if they're in the right position, like he is very good at getting those players to play their best. I think we saw that in Florida and I think we saw that in Vegas. So if he could do that with players like Kreider and players like Lafrenier, like there's a lot to get out of them. Then all of a sudden they have these options for their Offense that maybe they didn't have. Um, I would say they had last year, but didn't utilize them properly. But like in the years before that, because they have this forward depth um, and that's, you know, there's so many questions because even if they walk into the season with the same centers that they, you know, ended last year with, do they go with the same configuration? It's a safe bet to think that Ryan Strom's going to play that, you know, second line, but there is a chance that he gets that look that he didn't get last year because he started out hot and then, broke his hand there there's so many questions with how this top nine can be configured they definitely have the options and it, it'll be interesting to see how creative they are with it or if they go with what sticks how much they're willing to change it how much they're not you know right. you you do look at vegas as galant's most recent example and he did find combinations that work and he stuck with them because they worked march is so, worked with smith and carlson and that's why they're still aligned today you know like yeah. That's where the questions come in. And the other thing is, are they done? There were rumors linking the Rangers to a player like Riley Smith. Do they try to bring in another top nine right winger? Like there's so much more that can happen. And looking at the team right now, I would be a little bit surprised if they don't make another move in that top nine, whether it's down the middle or on the wing, just to shake something up a little bit more than before, because Right now, it looks like a team that would be patiently rebuilding and patiently going along that process. And if they make the playoffs great and wonderful, but it's all about player development because now you just opened up, you know, spots in the lineup to have more players get those roles. But if they're striving for the playoffs, do they see this roster as strong enough as constructed? I'm not so sure. You know, could we see a player like Sammy Blay play in the middle six? Um, Yeah, absolutely. You know, could you see... Barkley Goudreau play higher in the lineup, closer to the middle six, two, instead of the bottom six, like that could happen as well. But it does seem like if this was a team thinking that they're a playoff caliber team, another shoe has to drop and it has to shake up that top nine just a little bit more with skill and not just with, you know, the off ice characteristics or toughness or anything like that.
1: I'm a little disappointed to not hear you mention Julian Gauthier. Do you, uh, do you don't see him being a top six, uh, capable guy at this point?
2: I'm not sure if he's top six capable. I think he's middle six capable. Mm. I don't know what the coaches view of him or management, and that mm. one's really tricky because I think that, again, he has the skills that everyone looks for. He has size and speed. I think he needs a little bit more finesse and a little more work with his hands and things like that. But I think that he did show potential when he was given the chance to show it, and that's what the problem is. There's only so much to go off of. Um, I would not be surprised if he made the team and played on the in the bottom six. It would make sense to have a player of that You know, capability. And if you have Kreider on one line and him on another line and you have that speed, I think it would go really well with Galant's system. But I don't know if he gets that shot. And when you look at some of the deals, that, you know, a player like Dryden Hunt would be good on the fourth line. But now there's also Ryan Reeves on the fourth line. And they didn't just get him for this year, they already extended him for next year, which does say that he's going to be playing a meaningful role. And we know based on Galan's history with him too, he's likely to play a meaningful role. And that meaningful role might only be fourth line minutes, but he would be a lineup mainstay. Yeah. So, you know, there's only so many roster spots to go around. And then the other wrinkle in all of it too is who is, if another move happens, who is still on this line, you know, on this roster, um, we're talking about the right wing of it. Kravtsov has been written into how many trades, you know, he could be the player to go. Now right. you're down Buchnevich and Kraftsov. So you have Kako on the right side. So what else do you do? Who else is going to be joining the steamer? Who's going to be shifting to the right? So, like, th- that's the other consideration, too. Like, they're probably not done. So, who else moves and what positions do does that open up?
1: It's weird to say that they might not be done because, like you said, it is August, but it's been. As we've talked about the weirdest year, I don't I can't recall another team having a weirder season. And I mean, like, in the strongest possible way, weird with this Rangers season, because nothing about it was ever. It still feels like we're in bizarro world watching <laughs> yeah, some of the but- moves that happened this off season.
2: Yeah, just a bit. It was. It was weird given the environment, the situation. It's a weird year. You know, they lose in the bubble, something that's never happened before in three games. And then they come in and it's a condensed season and you're only playing in division. So you're already starting at this very weird position. And then you have so much going on just off the ice alone that it it adds another level to it. And just when you think it's done, they play the Capitals. Chaos ensues, and then they have a reactionary offseason to that that entire mess. You know, there's no other way to put it. That whole situation was a mess from top to bottom, and it affected the team in more ways than imagined because there were so many changes. And maybe this year it would have made sense, you know, oh, there's going to be a trade or two. Oh, maybe they will go in a different direction with the coach, or maybe they might go in a different direction with management. Like, these things are plausible. You can make the argument – why Jeff Gordon should have been fired and why David Quinn had to go and so many other things, but it's just the way in which it happened is just so bizarre, and then the way a lot of this offseason has been treated. They may have needed to become a, a tougher team anyway, but the fact that it happened in reaction, and as much as it did, because as much as we can look at one move, they didn't happen in a vacuum. They all happened in tandem with each other. So there's just so many different things going on, and now we're at this lull so obviously we're anticipating another shooter drop
1: i don't like it i don't like uh, <laughs> i don't like this era of rangers uh, fandom and I, it this should be the fun part shayna we should be you know one of the weird parts of last season in my mind is that from a fantasy perspective, everyone was very disappointed with the Rangers early in the year, and they weren't playing well, and they were losing a lot of games. So I do understand it, but there were a lot of folks talking about how, like, oh, I guess the Rangers aren't as good as we thought. And to my mind and to my eyes, it's like, no, there's a lot of talent here. And then they they win a lot of they win a fair amount of games. They kind of they drag themselves back into the conversation. Everyone's sort of like, oh, wow, the Rangers are even better than we thought. But there was there was a a little overperformance going on there after after jerkin comes back from the injury. And so it just feels like we really have never seen what this team could be. And I'm very curious to find out if this is the year we finally see who they are,
2: I guess. Yeah, like, I think it's tough that they, honestly, that they made the playoffs the year before. Um, And yes, it was only the bubble and it was extended. And had they not done 24 teams, they wouldn't have made it. But this was a team that put themselves in the playoff race, you know, in 2019-20. That's commendable given where they were. To expect that they're all of a sudden a playoff team is, in my mind, it was wrong, given their offseason, given everything. Um, you have to expect, you know, growth from every player and no growing pains and things like that and everything to go perfectly, which it obviously didn't. They still did put themselves in the race because some you know, teams took themselves out of it. And because the Rangers, you know, got hot at the right time in the second half of the season before they didn't, um, I think it's tough to say that the year was a disappointment because they missed the playoffs. I think it's fair to say that it's disappointing the way the year ended because it did, but I also think, you know, it's so easy to forget the injuries and who was and wasn't in the lineup and why it collapsed in the way it did, but obviously it looks so bad. And then you throw in another situation that made the team, you know, another aspect of drama that puts, you know, this team back to the forefront. And it's really complicated. Um, If the, I think, you know, this could be a playoff team. I don't think they're a contender yet. I think they still need work to get there. And I think they're going to be a better team because of their coaching staff. And I think having that different perspective is going to help and including, you know, just having a new coach and who the coach is. Do I think Alonso is the perfect coach? No, I see a lot of flaws with him. Before, you know, he was hired based on what he's done in recent years. But I do think that he does make sense for a lot of reasons. And a lot of it's because of how he can maximize talent. And um, I think that puts that and and the pace of the, you know, the style that he goes for. I think that's going to make the Rangers a better team this year. Having said that, I think they would have been a better team this year had they hired the same coach and made some of the moves that they did and not all of them because it feels like they hamstrung themselves from being the team that they Should have, would have, and could have been going into this year had they not, you know, leaned so heavily into this toughness angle. Um, Couple like it's really something that just a couple of tweaks would have made a huge difference. But you look at the asset management, and it's not just concerning for now, but moving forward. So that's where it gets a little tricky. This is probably a better team. This is a team that's going to be in the playoff mix. And yes, many will see it's a disappointment if they don't make the playoffs. When it really shouldn't be unless they get, if they get this like unreal top nine center and blah, 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 and do all that this year, then maybe it's a little different conversation. They should be a playoff team, so on and so forth. But as it stands right now, this is a team that should be in the mix for the playoffs, could make the playoffs, but that doesn't automatically make it, you know, a huge disappointment unless players aren't, you know, moving along as they should be. And that's what the focus still has to be. But since they've been in the playoff mix for two years, it's so much easier to look at and go, well, this is where they should be. And if they're not, it's a loss. And that's it. Like, that's it. Without any other context, understanding or anything else going on.
1: But they are one of those teams like like Toronto, where it's like there's not a lot of nuance in the conversation around (laughs) it. And so it's like, you know, Philip Hedel goes out in the first month and... To the average fan who hasn't been watching much, they're like, whatever, Philippito, I barely know who that guy is. But if you've been watching the Rangers through January, February, you know that his his jump at that point really gave them a stability in the middle six. And there were a lot of things like that, I guess, where it's just like there's, there's context missing all of the time. Yeah, and I think time. that if they don't... If they don't make it, it's not going to be the same thing as like if Toronto hadn't made it when they got yeah. Marner, Matthews and and Tavares all within you know a year yeah. of one another. Like there was just a but at the same time, it this, the expectations are that high, I would say at this yeah. point.
2: And some of the moves that they've made show that they're a team that thinks what they are, you know. I might look at the talents of the team and say one thing, but management is looking at it going, well, we're adding these players to take us to that next level. Um, One can be right. One can be wrong. Could be somewhere in the middle. You know, you go for a player like Panarin. um, Obviously it might not have been the ideal time. Probably would have been better a year later, but that's when he was available and that's when they went for it. They went for a right now player. They should maximize, you know, his value and his, him at his peak. And you do want to maximize your players on entry level contracts, which they have in Adam Fox and Kapokako and Alexi Lafreniere. That's it's going to be a lot trickier when everyone's contracts come up. You know, you look at contending teams, what they do right and wrong. A team like Winnipeg did it right when they had all those players on entry level contracts and they were competing. The second those deals started coming up, prices went up and they had to start shedding players. So that's why their timeline's a little bit tricky. Because they they do need to make it work with certain players at certain times. And if not, they need to find a way, you know, when Adam Fox is on his next contract, they have to hope that a player like Nils Longquist or Zach Jones is playing, you know, on defense too. So now you have two to three years of another entry-level player. And now you just bought time for yourself to manage the cap. And now you have, like, the extra hurdle of it being a flat cap. But it, it just needs to all come together in the right way. And it's really challenging for it too when you want your players at their peak, the cap situation to be right, so on and so forth. And they are trying to get there, but it's questionable in which ways they went there this year and what the expectations are internally versus externally.
1: Yeah, and Winnipeg's like a really interesting example too because they're a team that had those those pieces at at the top of the lineup, those those front pieces, and they had the def- or they have the goaltender. Yeah, but they inexplicably let all of the right side defensemen go and then jacob truba forces his way out and there are all these things that kind of show you that even if you have those generational not generational but like even if you have that high end yeah yeah, you still need the depth up front and you need defense and uh the rangers kind of those are the question marks i guess that we'll we'll find out about now and i We've only talked about forwards somehow, uh, specifically this far, so we'll get into defense, which is a lot quicker to talk about in fantasy, as we've as we've mentioned. And Shayna, I'm so excited to talk to you because you wrote the GOAT article about the Norris trophy last year and how this new crop of young defensemen like like Adam Fox, like Sam Gerard or or Charlie McAvoy, they really should change the way that people discuss the Norris race. And it just so happens that the Rangers number one defenseman <laughs> What is now the reigning Norris Trophy winner. Yes. Do you think that there's still room for Adam Fox to grow? Or, you know, he came into the league a bit later than your average player. So is this sort of, are we seeing peak Fox at this point?
2: Um, I think he's in his prime now. I think that there is going to be more from him. Um, it's curious how, how it'll, you know, develop this year because there is a different defensive coach and a new coach coming in. And there's going to be different systems when you look at the improvements that the team made overall last year. Having said that, Adam Fox is such a smart player, he's such a good player. Um, he was you know one of the best defensemen in the league and he played some of the toughest minutes. Um, so it bodes well for him. I have no concerns about his game in the near future, and he's going to get you know paid deservingly so He's a top defenseman in this league. He plays all situation minutes now, which he didn't fear before because he wasn't on the penalty kill. And a player like him on the penalty kill is so great because it shows the modern game a little bit more by having this offensive defenseman and puck mover who so many would look at and go, oh, they're a liability defensively without knowing a thing about their game defensively because that's just that archetype of player. Um, and that puck moving skill is what gives the penalty kill another dimension that they had this past year, you know, having offensive skill on it. And Fox was a key part of it. Um, and it's, it's really interesting to see how it'll go with him and Ryan Lindgren because... Adam Fox carries the load on that defensive pair. And there is no question about it. That is not a slide at Ryan Lingren. When the Rangers acquired Ryan Lindgren, that was not the player they have on their roster today. Um, and he, he, it seemed for a time was okay. Being this like one dimensional defensive old school defenseman. And then he got a skating coach and he changed his game and he has absorb so much from Fox, which is why they're more balanced pair now than maybe they were when they were first put together, but he doesn't just keep up. He complements him. So it'll be interesting to see how the two of them develop or if something changes, because it could work that the Rangers, you know, go for a Miller Fox combination and then try to have Lingren true would be a little bit more of a shutdown pair. Like they have that option. Um, and keeping that option open just to rotate, depending on how games go is going to benefit them too.
1: And so, uh, when you look at the, when you look at the Rangers defense on fantasy, obviously Adam Fox is going in every league. Um, you don't, some leagues you're going to see Jacob Truba go, especially in peripheral leagues. Andre Miller, I think has that upside as well. And I think that you'll see Niels Lundqvist drafted in some leagues where people are trying to, to bet on, uh, rookies or, or the Calder race or, or dynasty leagues. Um, Do you think any of those players could top even, like, a half a point per game this year?
2: Um, So that's a little bit tricky. I think the Mm. thing is Adam Fox is going to be your offensive generator on defense. um, Your leader in minutes if you can't average ice time. I think Kandra Miller playing all situation minutes, if he does play on the power play again, is going to boost his value. Um, And I know that since he's, like, a forward convert, some expect him to be super offensive when, you know, his strength is his defensive play. But he could be valuable too. Um, the player, though, is Truba, especially if he plays off situation minutes. But even if he doesn't, few defensemen are so good in block shots and generating shots. Um, you know, a player like John Carlson stands out and Oscar Clefbaum when he's healthy. You'll see these, you know, defensemen playing first pair of minutes who are getting you those defensive categories that you do need to check off if you have blocks or even hits. And that's a category that, you know, Truba checks off as well. But then you have the offensive, you know, influence of those shots. And maybe they don't relate to a lot of goals, but they do for assists because those shots get tipped in. So I would say, if not Fox, the defenseman I look at from a fantasy perspective and you know, he's one I definitely did write about this like last season as well. Um, Even though he had a tough first year in New York, you know, he did bounce back and he looks better. And I think he'll keep getting better, especially as Miller develops, if they stay together, um, it, it's Jacob true, but like, he's the one that I think provides a lot of, fantasy value because of the other categories
1: it's nice to hear you say that uh about truba because i think that he is the he is the rangers fan's greatest fear is that 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 massive yeah. contract they get like it's obviously an overpay but is it yeah you know is he going to be a negative value player by the end of it is kind of the fear that folks had after after this first year it was nice to see how he and k andre really settled in next to one another though definitely um, and so we'll, we'll move to Nets. Rangers have the new prince in town, Igor Shestirkin. Uh I love Igor because of his headband. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's amazing that... Uh, I like it. I do like that. Right? I went long hair this year. And so having my favorite team have a goalie who uh, would, would rock the headband. It made me want to ask you, Shana, have you sent Igor a scrunchie yet?
2: No, but if his hair keeps growing, that should definitely be arranged.
1: <laughs> right? I'm yeah. saying.
2: All yeah. Right. No, I need to start making headbands, though. I have been asked before and I'd like maybe I should. That's something I, I like didn't consider much initially.
1: Yeah, and I think that you have a number one client built in that would <laughs> raise your profile so much. Yeah. So that that's one thought. We'll we'll get back to the interview though. Uh, <laughs> at twenty-five years old, Igor as a rookie, very respectable season, nine sixteen save percentage, saved over eight goals above average, but he did struggle with wins. He won less than half of his starts on the year. I'm not worried about him from a skill perspective because obviously uh, he looked he looked great and he his the pedigree is there. Yeah. But in fantasy, I think you know we've been talking about team skill a lot yes. and, and whether the Rangers are good or bad. That's super important for goalie performance. So I guess I'm going to ask you. We've we've talked about it for an hour now, but I, I'll get you to culminate here. Do you think the Rangers take a step forward, allowing Igor to up his win total next year?
2: Yes. Um, so. I think goalie stats are flawed. I think goalie stats on fantasy are very flawed, and I hate them all. Mm-hmm. But right. with that being said, like for full context, I had Chesterkin on two of my teams last year because I he was not my first goaltender, though. You know, um, I can't even remember who my tandems were. It's been so long ago. But, no, he was he was on both of my teams. And is it a risky pick? Yes, but I had a feeling he was going to be playing the majority of starts. Um, I figured, like, a 60-40 split. And, um, you know, that's good for a second goaltender. I thought his numbers were going to be good because he was going to face a lot of shots. I didn't anticipate the Rangers getting as tight defensively as they did. Mm -hmm. But um, when he was out of the lineup, I think is like a very important part of the season to look at. It was like a span of, let's say, about 10 games. The team's defense was at their all-time best during that streak of games. Um, They were, yes, there's still screenshots and, you know, all of that to be getting past the goaltender, which we can't count on when we're looking at any underlying numbers, Um, there's obviously nuance and context to consider with everything. And so that's why we pair everything with video, but we do know that they limited shots and quality chances. Um, So, and both goaltenders who were backing them up and rotating at that time were struggling. It just goes to show how important their starting goaltender was. And I think this year he takes another step forward because when you have a goalie take over, ideally, you don't have them just jump in and take over and all of a sudden they're a starting goaltender who's playing 70 games. You know, you don't even see a goaltender play 70 games anymore in most circumstances. So you have him back up and then, and yes, he did take over the starters net when he first came up in the lineup, but he was playing so well. You have him split for playing majority share and then you really have him take the reins as a starter. That would be this year. And again, without a weird off season, you know, you don't have to worry about those things. I think that he will be that reliable goaltender between the pipes for the Rangers. Um, Obviously, we don't know if they're going to be how they're going to be limiting shots and what the system's going to be with a fast-paced system like this that you know relies on getting the puck up the ice very quickly. You do open yourself up to a lot of giveaways, Um, and that's going to rely on your goaltender. So, will he face a lot of odd man rushes this year? Probably, but the benefit for him is that the Rangers know he can stop odd man rushes. When you look at the teams that he's already played behind, and it started with a very or Hartford Wolfpack team that struggled defensively. You know, he was their game changer. And you can go the next year ahead, and yes, they made, you know, adjustments as the year went on, but they did still struggle, and at the end of the year, they did as well. Um, I think that he's very smart with quality chances, and I think that if he struggles, he has one of the best goaltending coaches around in Benoit Lair. So while he may still be challenged this year, even though it's a different coaching staff in place, um, the defensemen, you know, Fox, Lindgren, miller could all take a step forward again that third pair is different that should help too um and there's definitely some potential there for him to have a stronger defense in front of him even if they are a little bit more leaky in the neutral zone than they were before but it's not like they were good there before anyway um but he should still be facing a good number of shots because when you have a fantasy goalie and you rely on someone that only faces 20 shots a night that's really tough because you know if you count saves now you don't have as many in that category or if you have saved percentage and they allow one goal on 20 shots, it's much different than one on 35 shots. So it should help. It'll help that he's playing a lot. So you get your starts. You can, you know, you don't have to worry about picking up another goalie just have three starts for the week. Um, but I think that you should be confident in his abilities this year. And if you draft him, like, you know, you're doing something good, but definitely, Make sure he's not your only starter, but I would be saying that with literally any goaltender in the league, you could have, you know, Andre Veselowski tomorrow. And I would say you still want to have a good, capable, you know, starting goalie right there, you know, alongside him. You want to have two capable goalies to rotate through. And some go for three goalies. I did most of the year. So um, I definitely would look at Chesterkin, though.
1: And uh, so Shana, in the Shayna Goldman Ultimate. Uh, fantasy league what are the what are the goalie categories that that you make
2: (laughs) um i would go with that's a good one. i would say save percentage is fine to have it's a basic stat there's no issue with that um i would want to see like the difference between what was expected and what they did so it could be like that delta save percentage or like goal saved above expectations i'd love to see that um even goal saved above average would be better than, you know, goals against average and shutouts. Um, and I also think that goalie points should be factored into your week long total. You don't need to have a category for goalie scoring, but if they get you an assist, you should get an assist.
1: Yes. hundred percent and <laughs> penalty minutes as well. If your league has yeah, penalty minutes, why
2: not? If they add to it, absolutely. But um, I think that goalie data as a whole still has a lot of room to grow. So I'd be curious to see that happen and then, you know, it could trickle into the mainstream maybe eventually and then get into like the fantasy conversation. But I think wins is tough because you're relying on, you know, you could have have had John Gibson in your league and it wouldn't have mattered if you had these stellar goalie numbers because the team was losing. You know, you could have, I had Henrik Lundqvist as my starter for years because I didn't care about the wins. I wanted good numbers, and I got them from him consistently. He faced a ton of shots, so I got saves. He you know, didn't allow many goals, so I got a good save percentage. And I was very happy with that. And the wins, whatever. Um, that was a sacrifice because I'd rather have three good goalie categories than only focus on the one. And I didn't like when I relied on you know, a goaltender like Jordan Bennington. I wasn't confident. His first year I had him, and it worked and it benefited me, but I wasn't confident in it, you know, drafting him the next year. I think he was like my second goalie one year. And I I just wasn't great about it because he didn't face as many shots. So ideally, you look for that goalie that does.
1: Yeah, volume for yeah. sure. Last thing on our list, we we I try to talk about rookies to give the uh, dynasty players something to chat about. And I guess uh, Nils Lundqvist is kind of the big one yes. staring us in the face. Any chance that you see him being a fantasy relevant this year?
2: Um, yes, I think... I think he does have competition, but I think the fact that they went for Patrick Nemeth kind of gives the inclination that they're, that he's going to be on the third pair. Um, I know he has been factored into you know trade conversations, but I think it like I do think he's a player that they do try to keep um, in their prospect pool. He was one of their top prospects for a long time. It was him and Kandry Miller, and many had him ranked ahead of Miller. and We know how good Miller is. Um, he's a versatile player. I think he'll be very good, but it is tough. Because what will his role be in year one? They don't need to throw, you know, the defenseman in for trial by fire anymore because you have two capable pairs. So his, limit, his minutes might be a little bit more limited. And that power play usage, it does depend on who else they see can handle that. But, you know, he might be the better power play two quarterback. So, you know, there's definitely a chance for fantasy relevance if he makes the team. And I, I'm inclined to say he will make the team. But it's, that's, that is a tough one.
1: Shayna, thank you so much. You, uh, you've you stayed above and beyond and answered every single question that I threw you. <laughs> I really appreciate your time. Where can folks follow your work?
2: Um, you can find me on Twitter at hey Shay. It's three Y's and three Y's. Think of it as Shay with three Y's minus the S and then Shay with three Y's for real that time. And you can read my stuff at The Athletic. And if you follow me on Twitter, you will see me posting a lot about everything I do.
1: And once you go to Shayna's Twitter, you can also go to her Etsy and buy yourself a mask and stay safe this fall. Shayna, thank you so much. I uh, hope we can chat again soon.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much again to Shayna Goldman for coming on our podcast to talk about the Rangers. Shayna is an awesome follow on Twitter. If you want to keep up with everything she does, we highly, highly recommend following her at H A Y Y Y S H A Y Y Y. Hey, Shay always such a pleasure to have Shayna on the show great job ben as always for conducting that interview uh so thanks everyone for listening hopefully you enjoyed this show and all of the content we've been throwing at you on the keeping carlson feed over the past few weeks brian and i did that show recently which was split into two episodes where we looked at our, some of the projections from last year who were the biggest hits and who were the biggest misses we've got a really fun show coming up next we're going to be doing a draft uh with a really funky format so that'll be coming out on monday i won't bug you with the format right now but uh, trust me that you're going want to be subscribed to Keeping Carlson to get that and all the great content we have planned for you to get you ready for your fantasy league drafts, which are probably coming up within the next month because puck drops for the NHL season, October 13th, you blink and it's going to be time. By the way, once again, if I wasn't able to convince you at the top of the show, it's not too late for you to register for the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. Sure, you may be able to dominate your leagues with your friends, but come play against the best of the best in the Cuckupful, see how you do, and for all the information about how to join the Cuckupful just check out kkupfl.com for all the information that's of course linked in the show notes but with that, okay, let's cue the outro music and I'll read you the credits which are as follows The Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast is presented by Dabber Hockey supported by our patrons logo art by brandonweave.com outro music by Pat Roach and once again, this episode featured Ben Burnett from Short Shifts interviewing Shayna Goldman about the New York Rangers and that's Shay on Twitter H-A-Y-Y-Y S-H-A-Y-Y-Y. And you can follow Ben and his Short Shifts partner, Lewis at KK, also on the Twitter. That's it for me. We'll be back at you with another episode at the end of the weekend. And until then, we continue to ask you to make it that fantasy hockey is for everyone.